treasure what, what you love when it's taken away from you. And I, it, this was taken away from me, so I've got a newfound passion for preaching. And this morning, I want to talk to you either in the room or online about the post-pandemic marks of, a, of the believer's marks of a post-pandemic follower of Christ. Because the show's over. Um, you know, Barna's come out with the recent study that says 30% of the people who are part of our church roles prior to the pandemic, they're gone. So the show's over. We've got to realize if we're going to be effective followers of Christ, what are the marks that are going to be on our life? And the way I want to launch out on this is the Apostle Paul. If you've heard me before, you know outside of Jesus, Paul is my favorite biblical character. Because Paul is someone that you can see the transformation happen in his life. When you first discover Paul, he's called Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus was someone who wanted to persecute the church, wanted to stomp out Christianity. You didn't mess with this guy named Saul. You read the first opening chapters of the book of Acts, you find the first martyr of our faith, Stephen. Saul was the one who commissioned his death. Again, you didn't want to mess with Saul. He was on the road to Damascus and something happened to him. He met Jesus. Now this is where you've got to zone in. He didn't meet someone who knew Jesus. He didn't get some more information about Jesus. He met Jesus. And when Jesus came into his life, Jesus became so much more than just an addition to his life. Jesus became the transformation of his life. And he started seeing him go from Saul to Paul, the great Apostle Paul, of which he is called in Scripture. He was the greatest missionary the world's ever seen. Wherever he went, God would use him to birth the church. And uh, he was in a place called Galatia. Now, Galatia, it was a hustling, bustling area. Sure enough, God used Paul to birth the church. They received the word so warmly. And as the church began to grow, Paul, with his missionary spirit, he carried on in his missionary journey. Now, when Paul left, there was another group that came in. They were called the Judaizers. All you need to know about the Judaizers are the Judaizers thought that Paul had left something out, that you got to have Jesus plus this ritual called circumcision. And they started having these private meetings. Now, I want to be honest with you. Scripture does not look fondly upon anything that's a private meeting, okay? So these private meetings called disunity among the body and Paul got wind of what was going on in Galatia. That's when, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote the book of Galatians. And if you were to take time to study the book of Galatians, you would find that it's Paul recounting this argument of adding anything on to the work of Christ. In Paul's mind, it is Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Don't add anything to him. Don't take anything away from him. It is in the total work of Jesus. And most of the time in Paul's writings, you would see that Paul would write them by uh, dictation. He would transcribe it to uh, someone who would write it on the paper. But in the book of Galatians, you would see Paul saying, what a long letter I am writing you with my own handwriting. So this is so much of a passion of Paul's that he's going, do not confuse the work of Jesus with anything else. It is the work of salvation, what Jesus did for us on the cross. 
So he gets to the end of the book of Galatians, chapter 6. I want you to look down in verse 17. This is where we're going to launch from this this morning. Down in verse 17, he says, From now on, let no one trouble me. Basically, Paul's saying, I've handled this. I'm over it. I don't know about you, but I'm over this pandemic. If I ever hear the term unprecedented ever again, I'm going to kick someone in the shins, okay? So Paul says, from now on, let no one trouble me. I'm over this. But look at the next phrase. For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Now, it's that word marks that we're going to launch from this morning. In the original language, that word is stigmata. Some people would say it would be like the chevron stripes on a uniformed soldier's sleeve, but it's so much more than that. In Paul's day, in order for you to understand the depth of what he is saying, it would be like if you went out to a cattle farmer and allowed them to show you how they brand their cattle. That is the word Paul is using as he is saying, I have been branded with Jesus on my body. And I started thinking, if we're going to be effective followers of Jesus after this pandemic, there are going to be those marks, those brandings on our life. So this morning, we're going to stay in Galatians chapter 6. Keep your Bible open. We're going to walk through this chapter and find four marks of an effective follower of Jesus after this pandemic. The first mark is found in verse 1. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 6.1. He says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one. If you have a pen or a pencil, I want you to circle that word spiritual. The reason why I want you to do that is because I want you to remember that spiritual is a scriptural term. I'm tired of the world hijacking our terms and they can use it for whatever they want. If I were to ask any of us, are you a spiritual person, we would start thinking, well, what are you talking about? Is that something from Dr. Oz? Is that something that Ellen talks about? I mean, what does it mean to be a spiritual person? Paul is just reminding us that each one of us in this room, we're in one of three conditions before God. Every one of us here, you're not exempt, you can't be in two, you have to be in one of three conditions before God. The first condition is that of a natural person, a natural man, a natural woman. That means you have been birthed on this planet, okay? Now, I know you're sitting there going, that's so elementary, but let me explain to you further, that means you've been born in a fallen creation. That, that means all of us have one thing in common. We've all sinned. We've all messed up. We may not know each other. I may have a little bit of a different accent than you, but we all have one thing in common. We've all sinned. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you don't believe me, I'm going to ask you a question. If you've ever told a lie in your entire life, not just today, it's Sunday, okay? But if you've ever told a lie in your entire life, would you just raise your hand right now? Keep it up, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. Would you look around the room right now? Look around the room. Do you see all the hands of a liar that came to church on Sunday morning? By the way, if you didn't raise your hand, in that, how does that happen? We are birthed from our mother's womb, and every one of us come out knowing how to be bad. The reason why I do that is because I want you to understand we've all blown it. 
People come to church or they watch a service online and they think they're the only ones who have messed up. They're the only ones who have blown. No, we're all sinners before God. Now, it goes on to understand that we're sinners before a holy God. Now, understand that the word holy means absolute perfection. So there's no way I can come into the presence of God. How did this take place? You have to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and it's in the Garden of Eden that you discover the woman, Eve, was deceived, but the man, Adam, deliberately disobeyed. And from that moment, sin has flown through the veins of every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. We're sinners before this holy God, and that means I can't come to him because of my sin. I want you to know because of your sin, we can't come to him. And it's no one else's fault. You can't blame society. You can't blame your parents. You can't even blame Adam. Why? Because we've chosen to rebel against God. But the good news is when we couldn't come to him, he came to us. And for 33 years, Jesus walked among us. You study him. He'll never say, pay me. He won't even say, thank me. He says, follow me. Because he knew his mission on this planet. He went to the cross for your sin. He went to the cross for my sin. That's the reason Paul says God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. It is the death of Jesus that we understand that we have been made, we have had peace with a living God. And apart from that relationship, the Bible says you're a natural person. A natural man. and I'm not saying you're, look at me, I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm not even saying you're an immoral person. I'm just saying you're apart from Christ. You're a natural man, a natural woman. So then Paul mentions in the book of Romans another condition. He says the carnal man, a carnal woman. Now, how do you describe that? How can we understand what it means to be carnal? Well, in 2021, let me tell you, for me, I have realized the carnal man, the carnal woman is someone who with their lips, they say, I know Jesus. But then by their lifestyle, they reveal they really don't. Jesus says it like this, with their lips, they praise me, but their hearts are far away. Um, it's like one of those international films that have been dubbed into English. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those. It will mess you up because the mouth is moving and you can't really, it's not in sync. That's what a carnal person is. Their, their, their audio is not in sync with their video. So that's the carnal person. That's the natural person. But when we get to the spiritual person, people go, man, I, I don't know what that means. What does it mean to be spiritual? You know you're the spiritual person in this room? You're, you're the man, the woman, the boy or girl, and you know Jesus. Jesus has changed your life. And I know you're sitting there going, well, Scott, I'm not perfect. But understand, you're in a relationship with Jesus. You're being molded into to his image. You see, that means I should be more like Jesus today than I was two years ago. And if the Lord brings me back again, I should be more like Jesus then than I am today because I'm growing in that relationship. And here's an interesting blessing for you. If you're in this room and you know Jesus you know what happens? Jesus presents us to God the Father, this holy God. So God the Father, this holy God, sees us through the blood of Jesus Christ. That means if you're in this room and you know Jesus, you are perfect in your Father's eyes. So all of a sudden, we got to understand, are we a natural person, are we a carnal person, or are we a spiritual person? Here's the question i got to ask you. Has Jesus changed your life? Because you may meet a religious figure and forget about it. You may go through a religious ritual and get over it. But you don't get over Jesus. 
In fact, there's a, there's a Russian proverb. It's about 150 years of age, and I want them to bring it up on the screen. Listen to what this proverb says. It says, those who have been infected with the disease of Jesus will never be cured. You take that through a pandemic. Everybody wants to talk about vaccinations, and I'm not, I'm not going to discuss the vaccination. I'm just gonna, I'll go prior to this pandemic. I was going to go on a mission trip. And what they told me I could catch, I'm just going to tell you, I got vaccinated, okay? I, I showed up at the doctor's office. He was going to give me a shot, and I stopped him. Right before he gave me the shot, I wish I could tell you it was planned. It was just off the cuff. I stopped him, and I said, hey, Bert, what are you about to do to me? I'll never forget what happened. He almost froze, and he tilted his head back, and he started laughing. And he said, well, Scott, to be honest with you, I'm about to give you the disease, but then he said this, he said, but don't worry, I'm just going to give you enough of it so your body can build a defense against it and you'll never become infected. Ladies and gentlemen, please zone in right here. If you're not careful, in our culture of America, you'll get just enough Jesus in your system where you'll not become infected with him. You'll just be vaccinated against him. That means you can come to the services, you can watch them online because they, these folks are talented the music's incredible. You'll even listen to the message as long as it's not too long and there's a couple of jokes on it, okay? But you, you may be sitting here going, man, how do I know if I'm natural, if I'm carnal, or if I'm spiritual? Here's the question. Has Jesus changed your life? Because if Jesus has changed your life, you don't get over him. And the first mark, I almost want to change that from the mark of spirituality to the mark of godliness. You're, they're going to know Jesus is in our life. So as I walked up on this platform, you realize I had to walk up the steps. So as we're building this message, this is almost like a staircase message. You've got to have the first step. The foundation is knowing Jesus being godly. But let me give you the second mark that's going to be on our life, and that's going to be the mark of humility. The mark of humility is found down in verse 3 of Galatians chapter 6. Listen to what Paul says. He says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So what Paul is referring to is when he says in Ephesians, for by grace are you saved through faith. It is the gift of God. You, you can't work on it, so there's nothing for you to boast about. That's what Paul's referring to. But today what he's talking to us about is there's got to be a life of humility. Because we've heard all of our life about pride. We, I mean, pride comes before what? A fall. That's what we've heard. I want you, in the margins of your Bible, would you write this verse down? Proverbs 16, 18. Because that's where we get this phrase from. Pride comes before a fall. Let me tell you what the verse says. A haughty spirit comes before a fall. Now, if you study the, the term haughty spirit, that just means a warped view of oneself. It means when you have to be brought back into reality. Got news for you. We've all been there. Haughty spirit is not necessarily pride. It's just a, a, a warped view of yourself. The, the famous, uh, one, of the, one of the best illustrations I've ever heard about that is about Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali, you know, is the, the greatest boxer to have ever lived. The story goes that after the thriller in Manila, he jumped on the plane. He had his championship belt on. He was parading around the plane. The stewardess came up to him and said, sir, please sit down. Put your seatbelt on. We're about to take off. To which Muhammad Ali quipped, Superman doesn't need a seatbelt. To which the stewardess replied, Superman doesn't need an airplane, okay? Sit down, put your seatbelt, we're about to take off. A warped view of oneself. He had to be brought back into reality. That's a haughty spirit. A haughty spirit comes before a fall. Here's what it says. Pride comes before destruction. 
Pride is a self-sustaining spirit. It's, it's when you're bent on doing it your own way. You are closed off to any type of uh, advice, any sort of godly counsel. You're ready to do it your own way. And the Bible says it's just going to unravel before your eyes. Now, there's two forms of pride. The first form we easily recognize. It's the word arrogance. I mean, that's when somebody walks into the room and you go, they're full of them. We've all seen. That's how the world deals with pride, arrogance. But in church life, I'll go one step further. In ministry, you know what i got to be, be careful about? It's the second form of pride. It's just as deadly, but sometimes overlooked. It's not arrogance. It's false humility. It's when we're church people and we know how to smile. We know how to take it and go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, we'll listen. But on the inside, we're still bent on doing it our own way. The Bible says, watch out, because that will come before destruction. So it's, it's one of those things. Um, let me share an illustration I tried to share in the first service. I kind of messed up on it, but just kind of hold on, okay? Uh, hopefully, we'll get it right this time. But I was in a movie, all right? I was in a movie called Courageous. Has anybody seen the movie Courageous? Okay, so many of you have. All right, if you've watched it, it is the most critical scene. The reason why I got the part was I wasn't supposed to be in the movie. I was just there doing a Bible study, and right after the Bible study, I was going to leave, drive back to Birmingham, and, and from across the room, Michael Catt, who was the pastor at Sherwood Baptist, he was the executive producer of the movie, he, he just kind of yelled out, he said, hey, Scott, do you want to be in the movie? And I was like, yes, sir. I acted just like every one of us would. I was like, a star is born, you know, I thought this is going to be great. Man, I went through wardrobe. I found out the reason why I got the part was they realized when they were filming the scene, one uniformed officer would never arrest another uniformed officer, so they had to have the officer of internal affairs. That meant they had to have somebody in a suit. They only had one suit, and I promise you the reason why I got the part, I was the only one who could fit in the suit. That's how I got my part. So I, they invited us to Fox Theater down in Atlanta. Uh, they gave me a whole row. We packed it out, and man, we were watching. I knew when it was going to come because it was the critical scene. I was like, here it comes, here it comes. And all the eyes were fixed on the screen. Now, if you've seen the movie, you realize all you can see is the back of my head. Okay, that's the only thing you can see of me in that scene is the back of my head. I'll never forget looking down that row, and Jordy Henson, one of my best friends on the planet, he was bent over laughing hysterically. Everybody's glued to the screen except for Jordy, who's losing a gut. He looks down at me. I'll never forget this phrase. He says, Scott, you're not in this movie. He said, all you are is a glorified extra. That's all you are. You're not in this movie. And that phrase has stuck with me. You, you know what my biggest problem in life is? It's not you. You know what your biggest, look, your biggest problem in life is not them. My biggest problem is me. Because most of the time, I want to be front and center. And when I come to know Jesus, what has to happen is I've got to step aside. He becomes the leading man. All I am is a glorified extra in this thing called life. And if we're going to make a difference in America and in this world... They're going to see the mark of godliness on us. They're going to see a life of humility upon us. 
Let me give you the third mark, and that's found down in verse 9. I call it the mark of persistence. Now, when we talk about the mark of persistence, it is right after the law of sowing and reaping, where Paul says, whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. If you plant tomatoes, you're not going to get corn. And at the end of it, he says down in verse 9, he says, and let us not grow weary of doing good. It's the mark of persistence because he says, for in due season, we will reap. Look at the last phrase. If we do not give up. And I don't know who this message is for. I don't know what situation you're in, but I realize in the last 16 months we've been through it all. My message to you is do not give up. Don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up on your family. Don't give up on your job. Don't give up on your community. Let's not give up on our state. Let's not give up on our country. Let's not give up on our world. If there's one thing when we have been brought into isolation and we're away from everyone else, we start having those conversations in our head and we start having all the things pile up on us and some of us just get to the point where we want to throw up our hands and say, what else can go wrong? Don't give up. I already told you 30% of the pre-pandemic roles are gone. But you know what we've realized? There's an influx of new people coming into our church you know why? Because mortality has been brought on the front line. People are scared. People, you, you can live days without food. You can live minutes without oxygen. You can't live one second without hope. And they're searching for hope. And some of us are, are so busy walking through our own situation that we want to just go, man, I, I'm, I'm ready to cash it in. And I just want to ask you this question. I don't want you to answer it out loud. I don't want you to answer it for anyone else. Just think about this question. I'm going to have them bring it up on the screen. Here's the question. What would have to happen for you to turn your back on Jesus? We better start asking that question. And I hope the only answer you can come up with is nothing. Because I can't stand up here and tell you that something's not going to take place in your life. We live in a fallen creation. I know we're godly. I know we're following Jesus. But we've not been totally removed from this fallen creation. And because we live in a fallen creation, stuff happens. I'm not saying this morning God's not sovereign because he is sovereign. He is in total control. But because we live in a fallen creation, stuff happens. I'm not saying God's mad at you, that if you've gone through a crisis or you've walked through a tragedy, that God's mad at you and he's trying to get back at you. All I'm saying is the only answer I can come up with is nothing because something's going to take place. But that doesn't put a condition upon my relationship with Jesus Christ. Realize, we didn't meet Jesus in some conference room to negotiate our salvation. I'll give you my eternity, but you do not touch my family. You do not touch my job. You do not touch my health. It is based on total surrender. We have crossed the line. And if this sounds weird to you, may I just remind you of who's writing Galatians 6, 9? If anyone wanted to give up, I believe it would have to be the Apostle Paul. Everywhere he went, people were trying to kill him for sharing Jesus. Man, he'd say, I'm going to share Jesus. They'd say, Paul, if you speak about Jesus, we're going to stone you. And I'm, I'm talking about with rocks, not the other stuff, okay? You say, well, at least he was comforted. No, I'm talking about with rocks, they say, Paul, if you don't be quiet, we're going to whip you, the cat of nine tails that they gave to Jesus. They say, Paul, if you don't be quiet, we're going to throw you in prison. And Paul would just say, well, if you're going to throw me in prison, throw me down there in Rome. There's a lot of prisoners down there, and they need Jesus. And finally, somebody would say, Paul, if you don't be quiet, we're just going to kill you. And Paul said, would you? Go ahead. 
To live is Christ, but to die is? Catch it. To be absent from the body is to be present with? Do you understand Paul says, I have crossed this line. It is no longer about me. This world has no control of me. Why? Because Jesus has taken over my life. And if we're going to make a difference in this world, they're going to see the persistence in our life. Here's my statement. Don't give up. Don't do it. We will reap if we don't give up. I know some of you in this room have been battling discouragement. I'll go one step further, depression. And I know we come into church or we watch online and we put the mask on, want everybody else to think it's perfect. But if I could just speak to you, be persistent. Don't give up. We will reap. The fourth mark, and this is going to be the last one, it's the mark of passion. When I talk about the mark of passion, let me, let me just go ahead and explain passion, okay? I used to think passion was a personality. I, I mean, you know, I, I realized, the, I used to think the people who are more gregarious, the people who are more extroverted, they were the more passionate people. Now that I've gotten older, I just realized some of us drink way too much caffeine. Can I get an amen on that? So it's not your personality. Passion is your priority. Passion is what you spend your money on. I've told you guys before that I come from a state that some parts of our country, they don't even know Alabama's a state. They just know we got one thing, college football. We, we have grown men who paint their bodies and show up for the game. I'm like, what is going on? And I'm not slamming that. It's the greatest sport in the history of mankind to me personally. I mean, we, I, you know, personal preference. It's a great sport, but a lousy God. But passion is your priority. You want to know what Paul's passion was? Look down in verse 14 of Galatians chapter 6. Now, if you've never read it in the New Living Translation, that, don't get, don't, 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 the rest of them were New King James Version. This is New Living Translation because I love how, how it's put. Listen to what he says in Galatians 6, 14. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love the next phrase, because of that cross. So, so specific. Because of Jesus, because of what he did on that cross, I'm going to boast about him. And look what he goes on to say. Because of that Christ, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. I've crossed the line. See, most of us are more concerned about what other people are thinking about us than we really concentrate on what God knows about us. And you know what Paul's done? Paul's done what I've done this year. I've just resigned from this universe. I'm done. Because what was wrong is now right, and what is right is now wrong, and it's so confusing. And, man, if you, if you tweet the wrong thing, they, it, you know what I've realized? If you've resigned from the universe, they can cancel me because I was never a part of this in the first place. So if you just cross the line and you realize our eternity is at stake, I... Um, I'm going to close this message by giving you a, a little bit of insight into something that we, our family walked through. A couple of years ago when I came to preach for you, I was, I was running for office. I was running for the governor of the state of Alabama. Now, you could sit there and go, well, I didn't know you were running for office. A lot of people in Alabama didn't know I was running. That, <laughs> that's the reason I'm preaching to you today and not the governor, okay? I lost but it, to us, we love the campaigning. We were on the road. No one's going to outwork me. 
I was in every city, and I, I was at every meeting, and we went through 17 straw polls. Now, a straw poll is when you get a group of people in a room, and you have all the candidates come up, and they give you your spiel, and then the people in the audience, they cast their votes. Out of the 17 straw polls, we won all but one, and the one we lost, we came in second. We won every straw poll, but we got slaughtered in the election. And I was like, what's the deal? And so I've been thinking about it, and I'm not really yet there. Okay, I'm not bitter about it, as you can tell. But anyway, as I've walked through this, here's what I realized. When they were in the room and they heard a non-politician, and they heard a new approach to, to, to business as usual, they went, that's what I like. I like that, and they casted their vote. But when they walked out, here was the difference. I had $400,000 for television commercials. My opponent had $4.7 million for commercials. What happened was I won their heart. But when they walked out of the room and they saw commercial after commercial after commercial, they started thinking, he can't win. He's not going to pull this thing off. I'll just vote on this side. You see, I won their heart, but I didn't capture their mind. Now, I'm going to ask Bill to come up and begin to play very softly as I approach this time of invitation. I'm just going to ask, unless it's an emergency, if you just please refrain from moving around or leaving. Because let me tell you what's happening in this room. It's the same thing that happened in my campaign. What we've been talking about in this room sounds really good. And you're sitting there right now going, man, that's me. I, I, wanna, I want that. But if you don't do what Paul says in Corinthians, take every thought captive to the cause of Christ, before this evening, you're going to be so inundated by the culture's communication that you're going to start thinking to yourself, it can't happen in my life. It can't happen in this situation. It can't happen in this family. And you're just going to go over here. You see, what has to happen is not only does your heart have to be arrested, your mind has to be transformed. And for those of you in this room who have been intrigued by Jesus, you love when you hear about the love, the joy, the hope, the forgiveness that can be offered. You've been brought to this point in your life before. I'm asking you to cross the line. I'm asking you to do what Scripture calls surrender. That's the only condition on salvation. It's not a 12-step program. It's one step. It's whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I love that verse because whosoever means you, it means me. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word call means to stretch forth. I gave the illustration last night of being in Panama City a couple of weeks ago, and a story came out that they saved over 200 people from a vicious riptide in Panama City. And I said, the word call, if you really want to know what it means, it means that if you're caught in that riptide and you're bopping up and down and you're about to go under the last time and right before you go under, a life preserver hits the top of the water. You know what you're going to do? You're going to grab the life preserver because you need to be saved. Now, you could be sitting here going, wait a minute. That meant he saved himself. She saved herself. No, i got to remind you, you're drowning. You can't save yourself. You have to trust the life preserver. I'm not the life preserver. As much as I love Lenexa Baptist Church, it's not the life preserver. God just uses tools to throw the life preserver your way. We're talking about Jesus. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I know no better way to lead you to Christ than by a prayer. And this prayer is not repeating after me. It's not reciting a few words. It's you talking to God in your heart. 
I wish I could do it for you, but I can't. Your friends can't do it for you. Your spouse can't do it for you. Your children can't do it for you. This has to be your decision. But I'm here to tell you this morning, Jesus can step out of heaven and into your heart. He can change your heart and he can capture your mind. But you got to cross the line. This morning, I'm going to have the privilege of praying this prayer out loud. And if you do not have this life-changing relationship with Jesus, I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm not saying you're a moral person. I'm saying that if you've never accepted Christ into your life, as I pray this prayer out loud, would you pray this prayer in your heart? Don't say one word with your lips. You scream it inside your soul. No one's going to know what's going on. The person beside you not, is not going to know what's going on. But you know what? If you pray this prayer, the Bible says they're rejoicing in heaven. That means they're throwing a party in heaven on your behalf. Right there where you're sitting. So could I ask right now, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. As I pray this prayer out loud right there in your heart, just pray this prayer. Say, dear God, I know I've done some things wrong, but I know you love me. To the point... You sent your son to die on the cross for me. So right now, the best way I know how, I receive you into my life. I surrender. Forgive me of my sin. Make me brand new. I know you love me. Help me. To love you. Thank you, God. I now call you Father. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm just going to ask if you just prayed that prayer for the first time or for the first time that you ever meant it. You weren't coerced, you weren't forced. You just know this is what you've been searching for. Today, if you just prayed that prayer and you did it the best way you knew how. Could I ask you, would you very gently and silently just lift your face and look right up here at me? It doesn't matter if we get eye contact or not. That's not what it's about. I just don't want you to misunderstand what I'm about to share. In just a few moments, we're going to pray again. And then after we pray, we're going to stand. Bill and Carrie's going to begin to sing. And when they begin to sing, there's going to be some men and women down here at the front. And I'm going to invite you wherever you are across this room. If, if you prayed that prayer online, there's a way for you to respond online. But if you're in this room and you just prayed that prayer, what I'm going to ask as soon as we stand, if you would just leave your seat. If you're on the end, you step out. If you're in the middle, you scoot out. You come forward. You grab their hand saying, I pray to receive Jesus. I know you're thinking I'm adding something to it. I'm not adding anything to it. If you sincerely, earnestly prayed that prayer, no one can ever take Jesus away from you. But what I'm telling you is this God's not going to play games in your life. This God's going to plant roots in your life. And the reason I'm asking you to come is not only are the people going to make sure you know what's going on in your life, get you some information, but the reason I'm asking you to come this morning boldly is because of what Jesus says. He's the author and finisher of salvation. You know what he says about it? He says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. I'm just going to put it to you like this. If you're not willing to come in, in, in the middle of a Jesus service and tell someone that you're now a follower of Jesus, do you really believe you're going to be able to walk out of these doors and live for him? Today's the day that it's not just intriguing to your heart, but you're making that decision. You're clicking it off saying, I am crossing the line. As soon as we stand, don't you dare wait for someone else. Don't let them rob you of this moment. You come to Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. Follow him this morning. I want to pray for you. And then after we pray, we're going to stand. And then it's going to be your opportunity. Please, 
Please don't fall prey to what happened in the campaign and like it in your heart, but go, oh, it can't happen to me. It can happen to you. Cross the line. Dare to believe in Jesus this morning. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Others may be here this morning. You're walking through a tough time. The altar's going to be open. There's going to be men and women here. If you need somebody to pray with you, talk with you, counsel you, encourage you, you come this morning. We are not here for a job interview. We are here waiting to meet with the great physician. Why? Because our souls are sick. Come to Jesus this morning. Father, we thank you for what you're doing across this room and online. God, would you draw people to yourself? I pray for the man, the woman, the boy or girl that just prayed this prayer. God, today, would you draw them to yourself? Lord, we pray that whatever happens this morning, you get the praise, you get the glory, you get the honor. Because quite frankly, you're the only one in this room who's worthy of it. And we pray our prayer in the name that is above every other name. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.